Hello everybody and welcome to this new episode. My name is Sarah and this is Amsterdamus, the podcast that introduces you to amazing women from Amsterdam. When was the last time you ordered something online? Maybe on ball.com or by H&M? When was the last time you went to the supermarket, to Albert Heijn, for example, or that you bought flowers? Or the last time that you received a parcel by Postonel? All of these examples are usual things to do for us who live in the Netherlands. We do not even consciously think about it. And we definitely do not think about the people who work in the background of these companies, in the factories or distribution centers. Well, maybe we should. Hasna Buasa is a journalist and author of the new book Arbeidsmigranten in Netherlands, Migrant Workers in the Netherlands. And she is going to explain where most labor migrants come from, what the work conditions look like and why this kind of exploitation seems to be accepted by large parts of the society. Welcome, Asna Buasa. Thanks for being with me today. Thank you for having me. How did you come across the topic of labor migrants in the Netherlands? How did that happen? Um, well, I was approached by the union that you know fights for the the labor the laborers and the uh, migrant workers, and they uh, approached me and asked me if I was interested in um, writing down the stories of some migrant workers, and of course I was because um, I thought it would be a good idea to tell the story um, of people whose stories are constantly in the newspapers and in reports, television reports, and I thought it would be interesting to get to know them better, to know their history, to know who they are, what they do, uh, what their lives look like, and what they think of the way that, you know, life, how life is going here in Holland for them. So to really have their perspective and have them tell it themselves and not you know, me interpreting their stories. For our listeners who maybe haven't followed the news or have not come across these topics, let's maybe start with the basics just to make sure that we are all on the same page. Could you give us the hard facts about migrant workers who come to the Netherlands? Which fields do they work in? Where do they come from? Who are the people? Are there specific numbers? Yeah. These sort of things. Yeah, Um Well, many come from Eastern Europe, which is easy because they're part of the European Union, so they have the right to come here and work here without any problems. Uh, the biggest group of uh, Eastern European um, migrant workers is from Poland, and uh, the book contains six stories from people from Poland for that reason. The second biggest group is from Romania, for example. So um, now the influx, the biggest influx is from that country, but also from uh, from other Eastern European countries and from countries like the Philippines or Afghanistan sometimes, but really the largest part is from Eastern Europe, Poland, Romania. And they come here because, like I said, they're part of the European Union, so they have the right to work here, they have the right to live here, but a lot goes wrong. <laughs> There are many, many problems. Uh, they are treated differently as migrant workers. So 
theoretically, they have the same rights as anybody else, as Dutch, autochtone or ethnic Dutch people, white Dutch people. But in practice, they get treated differently and they uh, live and work under very difficult circumstances. We will focus on the difficult circumstances and the problems later in this episode, but let's maybe focus a bit more on the process of how the people actually find these jobs. How does it work? Do they find a job online? Do they apply by themselves and then go through interviews or are there agencies in between? How does it work? Yeah, there are agencies. So many, many people are recruited in their own country of origin and there are thousands of agencies and it's an industry in itself, the whole agencies. Uh, they go to the countries, they recruit people, telling them that, that they'll be able to work here for 40 hours, that they'll have a house, a contract. So pay, the people are basically lured with, you know, golden mountains and wonderful lives and prospects. And when they arrive here, they um, have to share rooms, tiny rooms with complete strangers. They have to wait and see if there is work for them. And um, they work under diff difficult circumstances. And also when they come here and there's, they don't find a job instantly, they have to pay for the rent. So the agencies are responsible for the housing as well. So the agencies make money off the uh, migrant workers because of the work that they do and because of the uh, rent that they have to pay. And they have to pay 100 euros a week for a bed. So it's not a room of your own, it's not a house. So 400 euros per month for one tiny bed in a tiny room that you share with two people, three people, four people, sometimes even 12 people. So it's very cramped. That's the very first thing that they encounter, the housing, which is really awful and tiny and filthy and there's no privacy. Um, and the agencies make money off of that. So that's the first step. Then there's the work. They work, uh, they do the kind of jobs that many people here don't want to do. So they work in distribution centers, um, work as lorry drivers, they work in the meat industry, they work, um, let me see, um, uh, in, in, yeah, many in the distribution. So they, you know, the mail, as work, they work as couriers, low paid jobs, very low paid jobs. And then, The agencies take off some more. So they're exploited. They, they live and work in very, very, very difficult um, circumstances. And yeah, but yeah, I think that maybe we'll dive deeper into that in, as to why this is possible here. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly the next question or the next questions from, from my side, because I don't think that the system of labor migrants is something very unusual in Europe. You have farmhands, for example, or you have people that work in Austria or Switzerland in the skiing season, for example. So that per se is not the problem. I think from what you explained so far, the problem is more that it focuses on a comparably poor region in Europe. You mentioned Poland and Romania, finding people that are willing to do jobs that the rest of the Europeans doesn't want to do. Because from what you explained from the system, I do not see a person with a French passport going through this process or a person with a Swedish passport, for example. So why is it possible or why does this system think that it's acceptable to do this with people from Poland or Romania, for example? 
Yeah, th well, that's the baffling part, right? Because legally it's wrong. And, you know, the government says that it, you know, that it's shocked that this, these things shouldn't happen. But in the meantime, they do happen and they, you know, it's, it's getting worse and worse. Um, sorry, what was <laughs> I lost your question. So wh why it's possible that it happens? Or Yeah, why is it acceptable in very, very big air quotes to do this to people from Poland or Romania, for example, but not to a Danish person yeah. or a Spanish person? Yeah, well, that's that's what's so shocking is the there the clear difference in, in the way people are treated, and the problem is the, the people who come from Eastern Europe to work here. What makes it difficult is that the money that they make, even if it's little and so much less than what Western Europeans would make, it's still more than what they would make in their country of origin. However, they come here and they're stuck because they either don't have money or they invested money to come here. So they are they don't have any other option than to actually stay and work and try to make some money. So it's a very, you know, it's like um, a catch-22. Catch they're, they're stuck in a situation and it's difficult to get out. And they don't have the money. They don't have the luxury to, you know, go out and try to find another a proper house or a better work because they don't know the rules here. They don't know how it works. So when they arrive here, they arrive and they find other people in the same situation. So the first thing that they think is, well, that's how things go here. That's what they told me. You know, they arrive and they're like, okay, so I guess this is what they do. And then, you know, um, as time goes by and they learn a little bit, you know, a few words of Dutch or they get in touch with Dutch colleagues at work and then they realize the differences and that they're treated differently, that they shouldn't be treated like that, that they have rights, but they, they, they don't know that they have rights. And the agencies exploit that because the agencies want to make money off of them so they're kept in the dark, and, and it's very difficult. Um, I don't know if it's very difficult to, to do something about it, but in Holland, it's proven, you know, the, you know, the politicians have not ended these practices. I mean, everybody knows about them. Everybody's shocked, shocked about them. Everybody says it's scandalous, it's outrageous, but it still continues. And the only ones that are really, really, the only organization that really stands up for the people is the union. They're always there. They're, you know... Uh, talking to people, helping them. And because of the book, I got to see the work that the union does and how they help the people, how they communicate with them. And it's, it's, it's impressive, but it's also outrageous. To give some very almost brutal examples of the conditions that the workers are in every single day. So you mentioned the, the lack of privacy in the housing situation with multiple people crammed into a room. So you literally yeah. just have a bed for yourself. Yeah. But also, I remember very clearly, uh, you mentioned a person that was working night shifts, and then they were uh, supposed to return for the morning shift again. So the mm -hmm. person actually stayed at the location sleeping yeah. on a bench. Yeah. Or people that felt sick, not being allowed to leave, or certain targets that they were supposed to reach and when they they didn't reach they were supposed to to stay longer all of these or are fired on the spot it's, they don't they don't have any rights so they don't they're not treated as colleagues as human beings as people with feelings they're treated as like and that's something that they all said like robots numbers and they they're even called by a number they're not called by their names uh, they're treated like things 
that you use. And uh, so on the you know work floor, they're not treated with any dignity. They get humiliated, shouted at, they're called names. Uh, they're treated really, really, really badly. And then the agencies, if they feel that you didn't get the target or you had a big, big mouth, they can throw you out on the street like that, on the spot. So they're very, very dependent. They're very, very vulnerable. And um, I mean, there were rats in rooms. Um, one of the people I spoke to, colleagues spat at him. It's, it's, you can hardly imagine it, but it's, it's so sickening. They're supposed to just do the work, get the targets and shut up. And what I understand from your book is also that people are really just expected to to simply function because there was this quote from a manager in one of the locations who said, well, if you don't like it, I can easily find 10 more of you. Yeah. Like, I yeah. don't need you. Yeah. So it is clearly replaceable. Do what you're supposed to do and don't bother us with anything. Don't exactly. be difficult. Yeah. And then I could imagine that maybe a reaction is to that situation could be that someone says well if there's something wrong the people should just complain about that they should just talk to their their manager or talk to the media about it but i guess it's not that easy right i mean first of all you have to know your rights and you have to speak the language maybe and you have to be brave enough to speak up i assume yeah yeah and uh, you know very often they try to talk to the manager but the manager is just as awful so the manager is not a solution Uh, the media, I mean, how do you reach the media? Who's the media? Who do you contact? And and exactly, many people don't speak Dutch. And and that's why the uh, the ones that dare to speak out are the ones that are a member of the union because they feel that they are uh, protected to a certain extent and that they are helped when they need the help. So it's a very difficult position. It's a very vulnerable position that it has so many layers. It's not just, oh, well, if, you know, why do you stay in that in your job or why do you stay in that filthy house crammed with other people? It's because they don't have the luxury of uh, a plan B. They don't have somewhere to stay. They don't have money. It's very dis disheartening because From the outside, you can judge very, you know, quickly and easily. Like, why? Do, why would you do that? Well, they have no, they have no choice, and the choice is between having at least that bed with strangers or ending up on the street. So the choice is very clear. The choice is being humiliated but receiving your money at the end of the week, or not having anything and not having any food and no money. And the agencies know that. So they, that's why they keep them so dependent. Like you said, and like the, the man said in the book, they just tell you, why well, if you don't like it? You know, there's a dozen others waiting in line. I also believe, because you gave two examples of a woman that had to work in conditions of minus 25 degrees with... Um, food orders, I believe, and other women that were supposed to carry 30 kilo packages for post and L. If you do that multiple hours every day, I assume they also work overtime. They probably do not drop everything after eight hours. You need to be physically and mentally able when you come home at night to do anything else than just drop on your bed and sleep as long yeah. as you can. Yeah. So that also requires energy to actually fight back, which the people probably don't have after this. They are exhausted. They're exhausted. They don't have any, you know, free time. 
hardly. Uh, they don't have, they don't, not everybody has a car that they can use on their day off to go somewhere. And the, very often they don't even know what the schedule will be, will be because they get, you know, the very, very last minute. So they don't have peace at work and they don't have peace in the tiny, you know, space, which is called home, which isn't really a home. So they're exhausted. And it feels one of the people that I spoke to, Lucas, said it, it's, like, it's like, a you know, a survival of the fittest. You know, you have to survive. You put, you know, your, your place in this position where you have to fight for, you know, a room in the kitchen to cook, fight for a moment to take a bath or a shower, um, fight for a moment to have, you know, five minutes of privacy alone. It's, it's, you're constantly on edge. You don't have you don't have time to relax, to think things over because you know there is the alarm. You have to get up after two hours of sleep. You have to get up and you know work again. It's um it's a it's a constant process that requires your physical attention and your um, mental attention or focus. Are there any specific issues in the system when it comes to women? I remember this example of a supervisor that requested all the women to smile at him. And if they yeah. didn't, they would be fired. Yeah. Yeah. And then you mentioned the lady who had to you know, process the packages, the 30 kilo packages. She had to do that because the supervisor asked her out and she said no. And so he punished her and made her go and process the, the 30 kilo packages, which she couldn't because you have to do that for eight hours. And she was fired. And he he started clapping because she got fired. Then you had, you know, another lady that I spoke in the book and she, uh, a, I think he was a supervisor. Yeah, he was a supervisor. He asked her out. And she didn't want to, so he insisted, and she didn't want to, and then he offered her money. And But she handled it well. She went to the um, other supervisors, and they, uh, you know, t they took measures. So sometimes you're lucky. Sometimes people do um, have a conscious and help, but, you, you know, most people don't. I mean, then Lucas, he worked on in, you know, in a distribution center as well, minus 18 degrees, and he felt like he was dehumanized. He said, you know, he got... Covid, and they asked him to just keep on working, and he he felt humiliated. He said, "I never want to go back again." And there was another Polish man that I met during that whole writing process, and he worked for the same company, and he was so emotional. He said, "We're treated like slaves. We're humans." And that's you know that 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 cry from within, you know that you, you hear that very often is like, "We're human beings. Treat us treat us as such." And they don't feel treated like human beings. And they're right. It's not a feeling. They aren't treated. I mean, if they work in the field, they have to work in, in the cold and the rain when the Dutch workers get free, uh, get uh, get off. They have to work um, long hours. Uh, they have to fight to get the sick, uh, you know, sick leave and sick and pay and get paid. They have to fight to get the money to go back, you know, home. Vakantiegeld. I don't know how they... <laughs> How it's called in English, but so they have to constantly fight for the little bits of rights that they have. And even those little bits of rights, they try to get it away from them, take it away. In your book, you also quoted a person from an outstanding bureau from the employment agencies that you have uh, described. And that person said, well, but it's not like you were kidnapped. We didn't <gasps> bring you here forcefully. You came here out of your free will. What do you think about that? That was shocking. I was shocked. Uh, I was, I was, it was, I mean, the nerve. 
the nerve to say that and i it was in a in a panel discussion and i was the moderator and at that point i said wait a second i, t- I told the um migrant workers said wait a second i have to resp- i have to reply to this because i felt how dare you so when they they came out of free will and that gives you the right to exploit them like that to treat them like trash seriously and i mean the 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 sense of entitlement of the, you know those people with those you know big heads and and bellies full of food and and uh, and, and and the 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 arrogance the arrogance to actually say well you know you weren't kidnapped so it's your responsibility no it's your responsibility and your uh, what you're doing should be you know you should be prosecuted for that i i i feel that people in all these agencies and and um workplaces should be prosecuted because this is not how you treat people this is criminal and as long as they get away with it there'll be you know these, these arrogant assholes because I mean, they're assholes, right? I mean, you're an asshole if 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 you hear the, these stories, and all you can all you can say is, "Well, you weren't kidnapped." Wow, wow. And maybe in addition to that, because you also said earlier that politicians already know that these problems exist in the Netherlands, and that had me thinking that not only in the Netherlands, but in general, large parts of our world, our systems that are in place are built on exploitation yeah. of people and the planet. Yeah. Fast fashion is just an, an example for that. Yeah. And people know that. And I feel like many people don't care because they financially benefit from it. Yeah. So do you think that in the Netherlands with this specific situation, there's an honest intention to change it? If there was an honest intention, I think it would have been changed already. And what I notice in Holland is that they find it very, very easy to take things off of the vulnerable people. They find it very, very easy to uh, punish them for mistakes, but they find it extremely difficult to punish, you know, those with power, those in power, and those with money. And um, so there's a difference in the way problems are treated and uh, and people are treated. and. I think that if there was a political will to change things, then things should have changed already. Two years ago, there was a commission that um, did the research and said all the things that I'm saying now as well. Um, They described all the problems and the exploitation, and um, it hasn't changed. Nothing has changed. And if you talk to the migrant workers, they say, well, things are getting worse. So... It will only get better if you actually prosecute, you know, the agencies, the the companies, uh, because the companies say, well, it's not our responsibility because these people are employed by the agencies. I think that's utter bullshit. I can say bullshit, right? Of course you can. Yeah, because as if people are there in your company on your work floor, you're responsible. So everybody's, you know, pushing away the responsibility, and, and that should end. If people are there, you know, on H&M or Albert Heijn, you're responsible and you better make sure that the people are treated correctly. And and don't work with all those uh, agencies. I mean, there is a law, there will be a new law that requires that all agencies are audited and that they have to respect the, the rules, etc. But I don't know if that's going to change something's you know, really 
because it's it's not just the agencies it's it's the this attitude that so many people think is just fine that when somebody is not dutch you can treat them like shit and that you can exploit them and i think that is the root of this whole cause it's not just the rules it's not just politics but it's a deeply rooted idea that it's okay to um, exploit people and we're not talking about like small unknown companies here no. we're talking bold.com we're talking postnl we're talking supermarkets gxo h&m you know there were, there was a, a fire at one of the gxo companies the distribution center which is one of the biggest distribution companies or logistic companies in the world and they do h&m they do uh, i think they also do uh, Albert Heijn. and there was a fire and the migrant workers uh, filmed that fire And the very first thing the company decided was that the mobile phones would should be banned from the work floor. So the very first action was not, oh, we have to improve safety. No, the very first action is we have to make sure that this, you know, the outside world does not know about this. So there was, of course, protests and they had to um, take their words back. But that's the problem is the mentality is how do we treat one another? And uh, there's a, you know, many people feel that, well, you know, you weren't kidnapped, so why are you complaining? And that I think we should start there as well. Not just, you know, the rules, because they can bend the rules, because that's what they've been doing all these years. But nobody's talking about that. They're just shocked, you know, and they say it's outrageous and scandalous, but, and, then, and then they feel better, because, okay, they've, you know, they said, you know, they said it's outrageous. So, okay, done, next. What can our listeners do to support labor migrants and fair working conditions in the Netherlands? Uh, well, um, see them, acknowledge their existence, uh, support them, support them when, they're, um, when they go on strike. And I think we should be much more vocal. I don't feel that the public is vocal enough about, about the situation. Uh, I mean, there, uh, there are many, many, so many articles in the press, but I don't... People don't really seem to care. I mean, they, um, they, I mean, when they read something, they'll, they'll express, you know, their discontent. They'll express it, that it, this is, you know, outrageous. But there should be, either public should be much more, um, yeah, vocal. They should be much more uh, committed to change. And I don't see that at all. I don't see that. I mean, I, like I said, I saw what the union does and it, I mean, I was in awe because they really work very hard. It's not a nine to five job, but I feel that they're the only ones who are standing up for the migrants and uh, we should all be standing up for the mig uh, migrant workers, not, not just migrant workers for every, you know, everybody. I mean, because, you know, there's another thing. The first thing that politicians will say or people who follow these subjects they'll say well you know people should be prepared to uh pay for um the courier you know pay extra but they always put the responsibility on the individual on the you know but that's not the problem of people wanting to pay for their package you know being sent to them because if they pay one or two or three or five euros extra that still will not change the way that these people are treated what will change is you know if you take on the top the managers the ceos and you make sure that they pay them that well because i mean they make billions i mean they make billions and then you ask you know the individual customers to pay extra seriously no they can do with less profit i believe you know you don't have billions and billions and billions so pay people properly um treat them well and then 
And then if you know, the workers still feel that they should get more, then we can talk about what we can pay extra. But the first responsibility is not ours, it's the companies. And they are making so much, so much money off of these people. And, and that's the problem in Holland. It's, they, always, they, will, they always come back to us. And we don't have any, you know, real power. I mean, we have power when we're, you know, um, as, a, as, a, as a whole, but, you know, where it's all very polarized and everything. So first, first and foremost, it's the company's responsibility and they should be, um, they should, the, you know, the government should be much, 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 much more strict with them. And there should be much, many more rules to regulate this. Better pay, better conditions, better housing. We shouldn't even even be to, you know talking about this. It should be normal. In case we have people listening now who feel like they are either being exploited or they know someone who is in a similar situation, mm-hmm. what is your advice? Join the workers' union, the FNBA. Always contact them. You don't even have to be a member of the union, and they will help you. That's what I've noticed. Uh, just you know contact the union they will they will they will work hard for you and they will you know, advise you on what to do and and that's the very first step they have you know lawyers they have people on the field so yeah that would be my advice that would be the best thing because going to the police the police will not do anything or they will send you back to the agency because that's happened often um, but the union will make sure that they will actually help you, you know, with whatever it is that you need. One of the people that I spoke, the uh, they kicked him out of the the house of his room because he had he. They felt that he talked back. I mean, it's it's insane. You stand up for yourself and you get kicked out of the house. And they found another place for him the same day because he contacted me, and I was like. I don't know what to do. And I contacted my, you know, contact person at uh, the union and she, you know, they started working and the same day they had found a solution for him. So that's the best, best advice that I can give. What are your plans for the future? Will there be the English translation of the book? What happens next? Yeah, I I would love for the for that you know there to be an English translation. I have no idea. I mean, that's all up to uh, the other uh, publishers, the international publishers. But I do know that they want to translate it into um, Polish, so you know people can read about the conditions of the you know their fellow country people. And um, but I don't know. I mean, I there were three books this year. <laughs> A very personal book, which cost me a lot of time about my mother. This book and a cookbook with one of my favorite chefs. I feel that I need to take a break from books, but I, I, I will be back because it's, it's, it's a wonderful process. I like, I like the solitude of writing, just sitting at home and writing. I, I love it. So I don't know what will come next, but I have time, hopefully. <laughs> Hasna Buasa, thank you very much for this interesting talk and good luck with everything. Thank you very much. And that's it for today's episode. Thank you very much for tuning in and for supporting this podcast. If you want to support Amsterdamus even more, there are several options to do so. You can check out the Amsterdamus Facebook page and leave a review. Depending on which podcast app you are using to listen to this podcast, You can also rate Amsterdamus there with a five-star review. In Apple Podcasts, for example, it is possible. Of course, you can also follow Amsterdamus on Instagram. 
in case you would like to give me some feedback or you know a person that needs to be interviewed for this podcast, you can send me an email. The email address is amsterdamespodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again and have a great day.